Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right, Natasha, I hear you've been up to some fun things. What have you been doing? Yeah, I went to Chicago and my husband and I went and we saw Moulin Rouge the musical. And I just wanted to talk about it because I didn't have anybody else to talk about it <laughs> with and I'm hoping <laughs> somebody saw it and and can have um can have a conversation with me about it. It was fun. Like I don't know if you if you're familiar with the movie at all. A little bit, yeah. It's got a little downer of an ending, you know. And the, and the musical's not any different, but the music in it is so fun. They they redid it. It's you know kind of follows the same story as the the movie, mm-hmm. but um they modernized the music. It's got some Adele songs, some Beyonce songs in it, and it's just like one after another, like hit song, hit song, hit song really fun is there any like actual acting in it or is it just yeah. all like yeah it's, song? There, nope it's not all song there's acting there's like words you know talking and stuff <laughs> words are talking <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a full like song it's like you know like in the movie they would do like little chunks of songs yeah yep, it yep. was fun like it was better we went and saw an actual show at the moulin rouge when we were in paris and mm. it was really bad i would not recommend it at all I would almost rather that they do this show, but without the plot, just the the music and the dancing of this um, musical. Sure. And in the Moulin Rouge, it would be way better. Hmm. Okay. Where'd you see it at? In Chicago. Oh, okay. I know it was okay. in New York for a while. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but yeah, it's playing in Chicago now. So if anybody else has seen it, I liked it, except for it got really um, dramatic, I think is a good word, like kind of a little bit of a downer. But also like even more dramatic than the movie, and so that like the plot of it kind of sucked. So I think it like reminded me of Mamma Mia, where like the plot doesn't matter; it's really just about the music. It's about the experience of going there and being able to listen to the songs, the songs, the singing, the dancing. Yeah. But at least like Mamma Mia kind of had a happy ending, you know? It was was dumb story, but but this one got a little dramatic. So like I really liked it, but like the story was really bad. Yeah, have you gone to some of the local stuff around where? So we're based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, mm-hmm. um, and there is a civic theater oh, that does a really so good, good job. Yeah, they do a really good. They job They do stuff. such good shows, and you can go and see like a show. I would say it's just as good as a Broadway touring company coming, mm-hmm. but for a fourth of the price. They're like thirty dollars tickets. They're doing something rotten this season, and I'm getting season tickets because I cannot wait to see it i love something ron i love fun shows and Ma- um moulin rouge was fun until like the dramatic parts and then I'm like, all right all right come on all right let's get to the next song let's cue in the next song yeah like let's get i get it but then they like kind of pick it up at the end like oh it's sad but like hey this is still a fun show and then they like do some more can can and like some of the classic music from the movie so it's definitely worth seeing good time if you've seen it let me know because I want to know what you think. If I'm if I'm um alone here, I might like this is way too dramatic for what it should be. But yeah, anyways, that's a newer one worth checking out. Yeah, seems fun. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into some games. Let's talk about some board games. Okay, fine, fair All enough. Right. All right, what have you been playing? Well, I actually played Wingspan again just last week, and um, uh, we with the both of the expansions, and I had played the the European expansion before, and we didn't talk about it in our review. Um, it was it was good. Um. It, Really, it just kind of adds more bird cards in there. Yeah. Have you played it before? Yeah, I own I own that one. I don't own the the ocean one. The Oceana one. Yeah. yeah. So the European one adds these teal cards, which provide end of the round bonuses, which are fun. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about it. It's great. I like it because 
It just takes those cards, more bird cards, throw them in your deck, you're done, you don't have to do anything, no weird rule changes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. But the Oceana expansion was really cool, and I liked it a lot, so I wanted to talk about it. So you get Nectar, which is a wild food type, and when you spend them, they stay on the player board in whatever area you spend them. So let's say you spend them to place a bird out in the water area, then you would place that Nectar tile in that water space right at the the left-hand side of your board. Yeah. And there's a little area control at the end of the game. Whoever played the most in that region gets five points. Second place gets two points for all three of those areas. So anytime you spend a nectar token, either placing a bird or maybe tra- changing in a food resource for a card, you know, or an egg or something, you could put it in that area. So add, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Who cares? That was I liked having the nectar. I liked having a wild card available easier to place your birds out. The area control part of it, well, I take it or leave it, whatever. But there's a little twist that you cannot keep nectar from round to round. So if you don't spend it, you lose it. Oh, okay. So that was that was interesting. You wouldn't want to take the nectar on your last, like if your last move was collecting food tokens, you wouldn't want to take the nectar. But other than that, like you always took nectar over anything else. So it was cool, but fine, whatever. What, what was good about it was that, oh, actually, hold on. The other thing that, that it offers is additional cards. Mm-hmm. Like the first one, you have more bird cards. They have a, there's some that have they have a yellow banner in this expansion, which are end game bonuses. Like maybe you could spend some of your wheat tokens to lay eggs or something. Just a bunch of things you can kind of do at the end that'll score your points. Oh, I like that. That's so cool. that's cool. Similar yeah. to the other expansion, it adds more bird cards. But the best thing in the expansion is the new player boards. So in the original one, you had to play you play your first bird token in the first row, and then. Then you could do, um, you could take one resource or you could spend another type to get another resource, right? Like if you were, if you wanted to get two resources, two food tokens, you would spend, I forget if it was a card or an egg, right? Yeah. In order to get that second one. Where this one, once you lay that first bird, you immediately get to do, do two of the second action, the second column. Oh. So instead of getting, you know, one food in the second column, you yeah. get two. You get two eggs in the second column or you get two cards in the second column. Oh, nice. Instead of paying that resource. Yeah, instead of having to pay that resource. So right away, you're really incentivized to get three birds out, one in each column. So that way you can do that second action and get that a little bit better. So it kind of, I don't know, it feels like it ramps it up a little quicker, right? Ooh. I like it a lot. Uh, The ramp up, huh? You don't like that? Oh, man. I don't know. Because it just doesn't feel as tight, I think. You can kind of get some more resources early on. More cards early on, more eggs. It just doesn't feel as like you take one action to get one egg, you know. Yeah, I the problem I'm gonna have is like I said in the review, the problem I had with the game is at the very end, I'm just running the engine over and over again. I'm doing the same action mm-hmm. over and over again, and if I'm progressing faster to that goal, then am I gonna I, do that more? I don't know. I think it it feels like you get more in the beginning but the end the very last one is the same so it doesn't continually ramp up the whole mm-hmm. so you still don't get the three resources until you're in the normal like you would in the original one yep. but you just have a couple more options to trade in resources mm-hmm. so the you know the first one you can get two right away and the other one you can get two and you can trade in another resource to get a third and then the next car in the next column you can trade it do the, that same trade twice you yeah. Know, for example, so you can end up getting four, and then the other one you just get four. Okay. So you end up with the same if you place all your birds, you end up with the same at the very end. It's just a you get that second one a little sooner. It ramps up a little bit faster. I okay. really, really liked it. I'm okay. I'm gonna get that expansion just for those boards. Yeah, I'd give it. I mean, I'd give it a try. 
Like I said, mm-hmm. I, I, I gave the game a, a pretty solid rating. The biggest thing for me is that very end end bit. It stays just a little too long. Uh-huh. But aside from that, yeah, I, I enjoyed the game. I'm curious, like, diluting the bird cards down mm-hmm. with more and more cards. Yeah, more bird cards, yeah. How is that going to affect trying to achieve certain things? But, I mean, having more bird cards is not a bad thing either, you know? Yeah, that, that is a downside to having more bird cards. They do balance it out. So, you know, those bonuses, they it's really nice, those end game bonuses. They tell you, like, hey, if you get five of these birds, you'll get seven points. And just so you know, 13% of the deck is, are these birds. So that's how, you know, those are your chances of getting one. And they kept those percentages really even as they add those more bird cards in there. But it is harder, you know, you're, you're, there's more in the deck, so you do have to cycle through them. But this board makes it easier to cycle through cards because now right away you can draw two as long as you get one bird out. Yeah, especially with that, doing that wetlands action. I think the wetlands action wetlands, is, yeah, yeah. is yeah, when you get exactly. cards. Yeah, okay. I, I liked it, and I um I didn't have that problem with that you had at the end because, in fact, I was like, I only had one turn left, and I was like, oh, shoot, do I lay eggs because I can get <laughs> five points, or do I, you know, do draw cards because I could tuck like crazy, so I could tuck like five or six cards in one round, so, you know, I kind of calculated it out, and so for me, I like I wanted to do both actions and keep doing it so i don't have that problem i also you know wanted to build a bird because added a bird even though it was only three points because if i added that bird i could spend the nectar and now i'd win that wetlands region you know by spending that nectar so i liked it the fact that you add end game scoring cards to the deck of cards Mm -hmm. i think can change that so instead of saying, okay, I'm going to lay eggs because i'm going to consistently get seven points every time i do it Mm -hmm. well maybe now i want to you know, do this bird because mm-hmm. I can get five points for doing the bird, but then the end game I can get an additional so many points. Yeah, so maybe that'll change things a little bit for me. I'm, yeah, I would, yeah, I want to give it a go. I want to try it. Yeah, and those and there, it's not straight up points either. It's usually like you can spend resources to lay eggs or or tuck cards or play another bird for free, something along those lines. So it's not just free. Like you have to plan for it and make sure you've got the resources at the end of the game to to follow through with that action. But that's the Wingspan Oceana expansion. If you haven't played it yet, I'd definitely give it a try. Um, I think the board is really good, and I liked it a lot. Next up, Bob, I want to talk about Machi Coral Legacy. Okay. And I did see. So Bob showed me his top 200 games. He sorted them all. And Machi Coral, it was like, no, it was 199. And Machi Coral, <laughs> or Machi Coral, the game was 198. I'm not a fan. Spoiler, I'm not a fan. <laughs> So Bob's not a fan of this game, nope. and to be honest, I'm not really, but my son really wanted it. So uh, we played Machi Coral Legacy. It's a dice-rolling, city-building legacy game. It's designed by Rob Davio, art by Norboru Hoda, published by Pandasaur Games. In this game, players race to complete all of their landmarks and contri- contribute to the community project. They do this by rolling one or two dice on their turn collecting money, spending the money to get new buildings to earn enough money to contribute to the community projects, and build all three of their landmarks. The first to do both wins the game. What makes this game special is that you earn money on other players' turns if you have blue cards that pay out on anyone's turn, or red cards that allow you to steal from the active player if they roll that card's value. There are also green cards in the game, and those only activate on your turn. So like I said, my son wanted this. He saw Machi Coral being played on one of his YouTube shows. And he's like, oh, mom, I want to play this game with you. And I was like, oh, 
I've, I have owned Machi Coro and I did get rid of it because it's just a little too light for me. Um, it's a 199 game. Yeah, <laughs> 198. Was, well, no, okay, sorry. There was one below yeah. it, which I didn't disagree with. I, I didn't mind it, but it was too light. I didn't want to rebuy it since I had already owned it. So I thought, well, maybe we'll get the Legacy game because that'll at least be interesting, right? You know, seeing that the Legacy factor makes it a little bit more interesting. It should be, yeah. Yeah. So the Legacy edition is just like the original, at least the first game is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really light game that's certainly high in the luck factor, but there are some strategies when selecting which cards to play. For example, you know, I would buy at least one card of each value so that no matter what was rolled, I would get a payout on every every roll. Or my son would buy all like the seven and eights and double down on that. So he wouldn't get hardly any money if no sevens or eight were rolled. But if a seven or eight were rolled, he would get like 50 coin, which was enough to buy like everything. But he could only buy with one per turn. So he had to hope that I didn't have enough money to build my landmarks before he could. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did co- often come down to the luck of the roll, but that made it still, that was still fun and exciting to see how the dice rolled and, you know, who got, whose strategy paid out. And it kind of was, he won more often than me, but. So how is it a legacy game? How the, how are the legacy elements implemented in this game? Okay, so I'm going to, I won't spoil the story of it, but I will kind of tell you As a story? What, there's a story to it. Oh, cool. Good. Yeah. I, I imagine it's really good, too. It's cute. I mean, it's not bad. Yep. Sure. Yeah. I read it. <laughs> <laughs> I read it. <laughs> um, I won't st- spoil that, but I will kind of tell you what you get after each game. So after each game, the winner of the game, you, you go through the deck and you get new cards to add to the game. So it's kind of like getting a little mini expansion. Every time you complete a game, you get more components with additional rules. And these cards um, that you can play in the next game are double-sided, and the winner gets to choose which side they want to use, you know? Usually one of them is like a blue card, and one of them is maybe a red card, the red side. And so I would choose the blue one if I won. My son would choose the red ones, because those are meaning you steal from other people. And then you mark that. That's the side we're playing on, and that goes into the game. And then you open up these boxes, and you get more components that have additional rules in it. And there's 12 games that you play out and then at the end of it you have a complete game that you can just continue playing continue playing yeah do you tear apart cards and like put stickers down you put stickers down so you each player gets a board you know you name your town it's your town so you you name it and then um there's things that you can add to the board throughout the game that give you benefits in the next game the cards you never get rid of, so when you do go back to play it, you can go back and pull out all the cards and you can choose which ones you want to play. So, like, there's different... Each game you play with different landmarks, you add mm-hmm. a new landmark to it. Um, at the end, when you go through and play, you can randomly decide whatever landmarks you want to play with. You can go back and play with any of them, any combination, three of them. Okay. What was your son's city name? Greengrass. Green... <laughs> <laughs> what was your city name? Orange Banana. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I I wanted to give him the name at Green Gables because I like Green Gables. So he was like, nah, yeah, let's do green grass. Honestly, I'm surprised it didn't have some sort of like. A uh, poop. Yeah. Like, a, yeah, yeah. He named his. um Like fart town or something. He named his town in Animal Crossing poop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Animal Crossing, once you name something, you can never change it. And so he did regret naming it poop. So I think he learned his lesson. There. I don't know how much he truly like regretted it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So there's a story associated with this game. How good is it? Rate the story for me. It's cute. I mean, it's about as cute and complex as the game is. Okay, fair enough. So it's it's just a cutesy little kid story. 
about why you're doing the things you're doing okay. and why are the pieces that are coming out are coming out. Um, each time it's it's within the deck of cards. You know, like the you know how you get a deck of cards for the legacy game and yep. stop here and then after this game, oh, you know, flip it over and so the the text is uh, on one of the backs of the cards. So that's about how short it is. It's like a couple paragraphs on the card. It's not long. I really like how you start with a very simple set of rules and then each game you add an additional rule to the game. So it makes it teaching teaching it really easy, right? Yep. But my son and I, we played it, just the two of us. So if my daughter were to sit down and play this game with us now, it would be a little, a lot to teach her because all those, now we had like 12 additional rules to the game. None yep. of them are complicated, but it's still like a lot of extra stuff. Did you guys play through the whole thing? We played through the whole thing and okay. we played it a couple times, just the, you know, the whole game yep. with, you know, different variations of it. Um, it, I think it's a really great experience for kids or casual gamers who may not be familiar with a complex game. I like this new trend. I've heard about it in the game, like that time you killed me, how that you, comes with that basic set of rules. After you play your first game, you open up another thing that adds one extra rule to it. I really like that style of teaching a game. Like you take a complex game and you break it down to just the simple rules. You play that one version and then you add one extra rule in your next game. I, I really like that about it. Yeah, they did that in Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion where mm-hmm. yeah, where you start off with a very simplistic rule set and they kind of teach you the card play mechanic, how combat works, drawing uh, the specific modifiers from the decks and then as each each campaign story continues on, it adds another rule or adds yeah, another rule. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I would love to see them make that in more games, not just legacy games. Because I really think it helps with teaching complex games. Yes and no. So Charterstone did this. And it started off with a pretty simple rule set. And then it would kind of add a few additional things and a few additional things. And it didn't feel like you were getting the full game experience until later on in the game. Mm -hmm. So there's different ways to approach it. And I know Charterstone, a lot of people seem to like it. I love legacy games. I love just about everything. Stonemeyer is done. I was so excited for Charterstone and it just didn't click mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah, maybe it would work well for shorter, simpler games, you know, where you're not investing a whole couple hours learning a basic game. Yeah. Or you have the option of doing it. You know, I liked it, especially in this style, this light, you know, very light, casual game. I think this game belongs on the shelf of Target that, you know, anybody could buy this for their kid who who doesn't play games and take it out and play it and have a great experience playing it and really fun, like, oh, I want to play it again so I can open up the next thing. It is a really good legacy game for non-gamers. I think it is in Target. The legacy version? Maybe. But I feel like Machikoro might be. I can see where, I mean, if you're a hardcore gamer and you probably have played Machikoro or you know enough to know you're not going to like it. You're not going to like this. This is not going to change. Bobby, this is not going to change where Machikoro fits on your list. If you don't like Machikoro, you're not going to like this legacy version. So it's not going to bump up to 197? No. No, it won't. But for a legacy game, for a non-gamer or a family or kids, it was a good experience. Cool. It was fun to play it it was there was some strategy you know it was definitely heavy luck but that's fun when you're playing games with kids like let's roll the dice and see you know i can i'm going to get a couple coins every round with my strategy and as long as i can get there before he rolls a 7 or an 8 and destroys me you know which he's got a high chance of rolling a 7 or an 8 you know 
but he still has to spend those turns to get build them. So there's there was some decisions being made in what card you buy. You know, I I I thought it was a good game in that sense. What would you rate it? A six and a half. Oh, okay. I'd recommend giving this game a try. If if you know you like Machikoro, you think you would, definitely try the Legacy version. If you're looking for a light family experience, or if you're looking for a gift to give someone who likes gaming and would like to try something new, I think it's a great experience. If you don't like Machikoro, you know, this game is definitely not for you. But that's Machikoro Legacy. I still think that it has a place in this board gaming hobby and could be a really great game for a lot of people. Okay, this week I played Pulsar 2849, which is a dice drafting game designed by Vladimir Suchi, art by Soren Mending, and published by Czech Games Edition. In this game, players are rival corporations competing at the start of an interstellar energy boom. In this game, players are going to be drafting dice, taking actions with those dice. Pulsar is played over the course of eight rounds, and each round is broken down into three phases. The first phase is the dice phase, where players roll all the dice and place them in their respective spaces on a dice board. This is also when players will draft those dice in a snake draft. We should define snake draft. That wasn't on our board game's jargon. Let's do it right now. Okay, yeah, all right. So snake draft. Snake draft. It is when first player, usually it's used for drafting, but it could be snake style, whatever. Yep. Um, turn. First player, you know, picks something. Second player picks something. Third player picks something. Then the third player goes again. Then the second player. Then the first player. So it goes all the way around the table and then back the opposite way. So one, two, three, three, two, one. Yeah. Yep. yep. First person goes first and last. And then who's ever in the middle goes twice in a row. There you go. Snake draft. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right in the r- middle of a rules explanation. <laughs> uh, which dice you choose matters more than just the, the type of actions you can take in Pulsar. Because there's a marker that is placed after the results, which will influence players' positions on two different tracks. If you draft a die to the left of the marker, you'll move further ahead on these tracks. And if you take one from the right, you'll actually move backwards on these tracks. So you have to consider your position as well as what the die values are. One track will determine turn order next round, and then the other will determine if you earn engineering cubes, which is a type of currency in the game. In the second phase of the round... Players will take the dice they drafted and use them to perform different actions. The first action you can take is flying your ship around this main central board. Depending on where your ship lands, you can either claim a pulsar or you could reveal a planet system and potentially get some sort of benefit from that system. You could develop a pulsar. When you fly and land on a pulsar, you claim it. But if you want to score points from it, you're going to have to begin constructing a gyrodyne and then start that gyrodyne spinning. Another available action is taking a transmitter and placing it into a new or existing array. Uh, If you complete all the action spots on that array, you can flip it and then it becomes active. You could take an action from your player board, which is these boards are randomly assigned at the beginning of the game. And they could have a number of different things from getting bonus dice. You could uh, get die modifier tokens. You could even get a couple gyrodynes. Lastly, what you can do is you can patent technologies, which is a set of boards that are random game to game. This is also going to be your round tracker because you can only patent technologies at or below the round marker. The last phase in the round is production. This is where you reorder turn structure. You're going to gain benefits from flip transmitters if you have them. You can score points from spinning gyrodynes. And you basically are going to set up for the next round. I think what makes this game amazing is the thought process you have to put into your decisions. Uh, Vladimir Suchi apparently likes giving 
players like a low number of turns, but gives you the ability to buy extra ones. So it has this very nice buildup where the first couple of turns, you wonder like, how are you even going to score points? Mm -hmm. But then at the end, you're just scoring a ton. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely a few ways where you can score points in this game. Yeah, he you're like you only get two actions per turn and I only have eight rounds in the game or two actions per round, I only get eight rounds total. Like I'm not gonna get anything done, but then you find all these little sneaky ways to sneak in extra actions. And that he does this in so many of his games and it just has this like tight feeling, like it feels really tight, like it's gonna be tight, but then if you're clever enough, you can end up getting a lot more actions and that's really fun. What I really like is the process by which you're drafting dice. Yes. So you roll you roll the set of dice, and then you find out where the median die is, and then you basically cover up that spot, and you find out where the bulk of the rest of the dice are. Mm-hmm. If they're to the left, you're going to place that marker to the left of that spot. Yep. And now when you're drafting dice, you're moving these two tracks, so you're manipulating these two different tracks. Like, am I willing to give up turn order to get a better die? Yeah, so in this game, the die are not equal. Like, usually a higher die is way better than a lower die. Sometimes you might want a lower die, cool, but oftentimes you want those higher die, but they come at a cost. And I love that balance of, you know, one's a good time. Okay, I am pretty high up in the in this track, so I can take that high die now and go down a little bit and still be okay. You know, or I'm all the way in the back, so I might as well take the good die because what's, you know, I'm already in the back. What's the big deal? Yeah, yeah. My, if you get too low, though, you'll get you'll lose some victory points. Yes. So you don't want that to happen. So the dice drafting is so interesting. I love that in this game. Well, the second track, too, not only turn order, but you're getting engineering cubes, mm-hmm. which you can take four engineering cubes and buy an extra action. Yes, which is huge. So you want to be ahead, but kind of want that six die too yes so it's this real interesting decisions that you're having to make as you're drafting these dice like do i want to go back in order to get a good die or do i not care Mm -hmm. and you you want to be first player because you want to be able to get the die you want first but but if you're last which you're if you're first you're also last right because the snake draft then you get to you ain't first you're last (laughs) you 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 be both But then you get to move your cube last, and if you're tied, you, you move it last, you're on top, which means you're ahead of the person underneath you. Yep. So that's interesting, too, and you want to take that into account. Yeah, it's, there's so much strategy in just the dice you select. I think that's what I love, too, is you haven't even taken actions yet, and you're already making these decisions about what you want to do on these two tracks based on the die. What do I need to accomplish? What do I want to try to do? All right, I want to try to flip this transmitter because if I flip this transmitter, it's going to start giving me two engineering cubes around and it's going to give me points every round. Mm-hmm. But I really need that six die. I don't want to go backwards in turn order because then, but maybe I don't care. Maybe I'll just take whatever's left because yeah, I really need those, this one die. Get two cubes to turn. That's worth it, you know? Yeah. You have these explosive, almost combo-y turns in this game from time to time that just feel good to accomplish Mm -hmm. what do you think of the look of the game the art yeah Uh, so it's a space game but it looks almost like a prototype i don't know about that it's It's... plain and simple but i kind of like it i don't need it to have a ton of art like i would say there's very little art in this game it's just kind of a few colors yes really simple i don't mind that at all because 
There's so many like action spaces. Yep. I like how the board is round. And then these other things that are around the board are kind of round and they sit on the edges of the round circle. I think that's kind of clever and different. Yeah, it was a cool concept. It looks I, fine. I, I like it. I think it's fun. Is it a space game? No, it could uh, have I, anything. Yeah, I that the theme on it's real light. Mm-hmm. Real light. It's you, a Euro E game. Yes. It's not a four X space game. No, not by any means. But for me, like personally, I I don't mind sci fi games. So something like this like kind of just fits because you're going around the board with your little survey ship, uncovering planets, dropping discs off. It doesn't the board does not need to be busy and exciting. It's kind of plain. I appreciate that because there's so much in the game that I like it. That's the problem, I think, with this game is trying to teach it to people. There is a ton going on. Mm-hmm. Yes, simplistically, you're drafting a couple dice and using the dice to take actions. But mm-hmm. do you want to fly around the board and survey planets? Do you want to start gyrodyne spinning? Do you want to focus on transmitters? Do you want to try to patent a bunch of technologies? Do you want to try to accomplish stuff on your own home board? There's so many overwhelming choices sometimes for players. Yes, always. There is there is too many choices for a new player. And that's fine. You know, it, it, it's a game that's going to take a couple plays before you can kind of wrap your head around it. What I like to do and what I did do when I first played this game was just ignore the transmitters. You know, you could ignore one thing, whatever you want. So this game we played it scored a lot on gyrodynes. So I just exclusively kind of focused on that and ignored this other part of the game. And you can totally do that. And it was fine. Yeah, you won. Yeah, I won. So it was a good strategy. So you don't have to like, it feels really overwhelming, but you don't have to grasp the whole thing the first time you play. No. And I think that's what makes this game great for somebody like me is rewarding repeated plays and Mm -hmm. having a game that you can bring out and just explore and enjoy that exploration of doing a variety of different things yeah you like that you like to play a game and and kind of have a different strategy each time you play it it's fun for me to be Mm -hmm. able to go into a game say okay i'm not going to focus on gyrodynes i'm going to focus on transmitters and i'm going to see if that can do something or this game i'm going to fly around the board and discover a bunch of planets because you can score a ton of points just by flying your ship around. Yep, that was my strategy was to fly around the board, put out those gyrodynes and put my discs out because the more discs you uh, put out, the more points you got. Yeah, and it gets to a point where it's exponential and it's an end game scoring. So you don't necessarily know how well you're doing with that mm-hmm. until towards the end. You're like, well. that That's what put me over the edge was all those discs I had put out. And that was fun to do. And it was simple because you just you just moved however many um, spaces, you, however many pips you had on your die. And there's a lot of variability to the game because those uh, patent technologies that you have, that's also your round marker, there is three diff- separate boards mm-hmm. for a total of eight spots because there's eight rounds. Each one of those boards has two different boards and they're double-sided. Mm. So... The you have a ton of possibilities when it comes to those technologies. There's also end game scoring uh, slivers that I'm going to call them slivers because they attach to the board. But mm-hmm. so you get those, and there's I want to say like four or five. Those are also double sided. Mm-hmm. So there's a variety of points you can score with that as well. And that kind of helps you. So when you first start, you're like so overwhelmed. Well, what do I do? You can do anything. Yeah. Those kind of help focus what you want to go for. You know. Yeah, they kind of they'll on. like they'll nudge you. And I know 
I specifically didn't really care that much in my in the game we played mm-hmm. recently. I didn't really whatever. I didn't care that much about it. I wanted to do the transmitter thing, mm-hmm. and I did my transmitter thing. I didn't win, but I was. I think it was only like eleven points difference between yeah, first it was and last. Really close. It was it was still a very tight game, and I didn't focus much of my energy on that. And that's, I like that because you were the expert in the game and you were teaching it. We were both learning, so you're like, now's a good time for me to explore the strategy. That might not be very good for scoring what's the objective of this particular game, but it's a great opportunity to explore a different strategy, and then you don't kind of run away with the lead, which can be really discouraging when you're learning a new game and somebody beats you by, like, 60 points or something. <laughs> yep. Um, I can... Yeah, that is certainly a thing. You... We'll talk about that next. Yeah, episode. that's a that's a hint to future a future episode. <laughs> that is a yeah, that's the thing. What would you rate this game? I really liked it. I would give it a nine. A nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Out of ten. Nine out of ten. All right, you got you have asked me if there's games that I played that I would give a ten to. <gasps> is this one? This is one of them. I love this game. This is a ten out of ten for me. Wow. Absolutely fantastic. It is one of those games that I I love it. There's so many interesting decisions to make at all points of the game, specifically mm-hmm. drafting the dice to playing the dice, trying to accomplish getting extra actions so you can do a bunch more stuff. I love it. This game is fantastic. I would recommend giving this game a try. If you like dice drafting and deep strategy in games, you got to give this one a shot. It's not... I don't feel like it's his most popular game, Mm-mm. but man, I, I love this game. Yeah, that is Pulsar 2849. Okay, to keep things in the Suchi family, the next game I want to talk about is Praga Kaput Regni. It is an action selection tile placement game, again designed by Vladimir Suchi, published by Rio Grande Games. In this game, players take on the role of wealthy citizens organizing various building projects in medieval Prague. They're going to be doing this by selecting actions off of an action wheel. Okay, before I get into this overview, this game has fairly simple actions, but there are a ton of different things going on. So this overview is going to be pretty simple. But this game is going to be played over a set number of rounds. Each player is going to get a total of 16 actions, but they can purchase additional actions during their turn. So on a player's turn, they are going to take an action tile from an action wheel and perform that action. After they perform that action, you will rotate the wheel and place the tile back on the wheel in its first position. What this action wheel does is it creates situations that may force you to take an action you normally wouldn't, something a little less desirable that are left on the wheel, well, they'll eventually reach a zone that gives you points for taking them. Or if you want to take an action that's been recently chosen, you actually have to pay a cost for it. So what are the different actions? Well, two of them are going to be managing either a quarry or a mine. This allows players to increase their stone or gold production, which are the two main resources in the game. Next, you can upgrade your actions. So you can take an available action tile and put it into a little personal action board that you have. So now you have an upgraded action. So whenever you take it, you get a little extra benefit. They could construct a wall, which is a tile that will go around your action board. You could construct a building, which is a tile that is placed on the main board around a plaza. And lastly, you can construct the king's road, which is basically just moving along a track on the main board. 
There's some other things that happen as you do these actions. For example, you could construct the hunger wall or cathedral, which is represented by moving cubed sideways and up these two different tracks on the main board. You could receive tokens that score based on where your cube is on these different tracks. There's quite a few things going on, but basically you take an action tile, you perform that action. I think what makes this game both great and awful is the sheer amount of stuff going on in this game. You can only take 16 actions, which is not a lot, and you should be able to buy more actions, but each one is so incredibly important. But with all those like moving pieces, teaching this game sucks. <laughs> it is it is not fun. It's just you pull out the board and you look at the board and you're like, what? It's so busy. And it's big. It's, it's huge. huge. You cannot put it on like a regular four person card table. It won't fit. No, it's and there's so many things that go on the side because you have those you have three sets of tiles that sit on the board, but then you have stacks off to the side. Mm -hmm. You have that that action wheel. Okay, let's talk about this action wheel. The action wheel, I love it. Oh, it's so good because it's exactly as you would picture it, a wheel, and it has little slots where you set these action tokens in. And the action tokens have two different actions you can take. Mm -hmm. So one action might be the quarry and one might construct King's Road. Two actions you choose from. You either you, do one or the other. Yes, correct. So you, you pick one of those actions. There's also little bonuses on the wheel. So depending on where you take the action from, you could get a window, which I didn't talk about at all because that's another thing that's in this game. It's mm-hmm. a resource of some kind that are these windows. So you could get that or you can convert stone into eggs, which is important on the king's road. Yes, because you need eggs in this game. It's in the rule book why you need eggs, though. Uh, apparently, they used it in the mortar when they were building the king's road yeah there's some history in the maybe it must be the egg shell or something i don't know i'm like what there's these cute little eggs are like the wingspan eggs but they're a little bit bigger and they're wooden and you're like this does not seem like it fits in the game but there it does it explains it's in the rule book yeah it's one <laughs> of those things that you can look up so you take the action you rotate the wheel you put that action tile back in the first position and then the first handful of positions all have a cost mm-hmm. two coins two coins one one Then you have a set where you get nothing. It's just like a green area. Mm -hmm. And then you have a set which gives you victory points. One of the last games we played, the the player to my right, Mm -hmm. Chris, he kept taking these actions and letting me just score five points, which is a decent amount. And it's like you guys started ragging on him. Like, like, you need to stop it because Jeremy would skip. So if you skip the next action, Yep. It'll rotate to the next player into those point space. And then if they skip it, it'll rotate to three points. And if they skip it, it'll rotate to five points. So it takes a little bit to get up there if everybody's skipping this action. Yep. Eventually, usually somebody takes the five point one or the I'm sorry, the one point one, definitely the two or three I don't know, it's two or three points. Three, I believe, yeah. Three, yeah. And then a couple times, like Chris was like, he didn't want to take that action. He was gonna Get Bob five points. I'm like, he's had like 15 points from you. Stop he, it. He was the best player on my team that day. <laughs> That's for sure. He gave me a lot of points that way. But it's so cool because the times I took it, I didn't want to do that action. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. It it was not what I was trying to accomplish. But man, that five points. Just for taking an action, I get five points. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, why like, wouldn't I'll do I? my other action later. I'll, I'll wait. So I really enjoyed that action wheel. 
it was a really cool system the way it continues to move and actions become more lucrative to take or less costly to take mm-hmm. i really i really enjoyed that mm-hmm. it's interesting because the game as far as your turn structure is pretty simple you know you take an action tile and you do something but there's mm-hmm. so so many things you have to consider yep cuz even the tile placement matters Because one of the things I talked about in the overview was you can get tokens. There's blue tokens and then there's red tokens. And those tokens will score points based on how far you've moved on this hunger wall in Cathedral. So every time you move either to the left or the right on the respective tracks, you're going to score more points. So if you get all the way over, each token is going to be worth four points. So if you move all the way over on the hunger wall, each... I think maybe red tokens worth four points. Mm -hmm. And you do that by playing specific tiles. Tiles will allow you to move left or right on those tracks. You have to be intentional with those because if you don't try to do that, you'll end up not moving at all. I ended up, our first game, I had all these tiles that would score me points based on where I was on this track. And I had moved on the other track, not the track that scored me points. So it didn't do me any good. Well, they're almost reversed. To move, to score blue tokens, you need to put out walls, but walls give you red tokens. If you want to score, you know, red tokens, you need to put out mm-hmm. the city tiles, but those don't give you red te- tokens, they give you blue tokens. Yeah. So it's this real interesting kind of dynamic of what where am I going to place these tiles? Which tiles am I going to use? Do I want to do this so I can move along this track? And not only are you moving left and right, but you can move up these tracks as well. Mm-hmm. So moving up gives you an increased amount of points at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly manipulating those tracks by placing these tiles. Sometimes you want to upgrade your actions so you can get additional things. You want to move on the king's row because if you can trade in an egg, you get some like cool benefit. Yeah, which are huge. Yes. A lot of things going on in this game. It's very, very overwhelming your first few turns. Once you're halfway through the game, you've kind of like, all right, I'm moving up this track. I might as well continue. You kind of got an idea what to do. But at the beginning of the game, you couldn't do anything. You can focus on the wall. You can focus on building cities. You can focus on going up these tracks. Like, you can get your production up high. Like, what do you want to do? You can do it all. Like, I don't know what I want to do. Well, pick one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. That That's a little overwhelming. Okay. It's really overwhelming. Well, and one of the things you can score on is uh, the more upgrade tiles you do, you can almost have this multiplication scoring because on your you have a personal action board and then you have a board that keeps track of your... Per- production and your resources mm-hmm. well there's two little side tracks that you're climbing on that as well and if you get to a certain spot you multiply the two together mm-hmm. and you'll get points based on that you you get points doing so much in this game yes but you have to kind of do it well like if you get a couple points here a couple points there you're not going to do well because they all kind of multiply on themselves so you do definitely want to focus on if you're going to go on these those walls, you want to either go all the way to the right, you know, all the way to the side and get those tokens that will multiply your score. Or you want to go all the way up because those are just straight points, but they're harder to get. Yeah, I think if you get to the top of one of them, you can get like 22 points. Yeah, which is huge. Yeah. Or you can also go up that other track that you had talked about and then get these um, bonus tiles that give you give you things each turn or however you, whatever they do, they all do different things. Yeah, you almost get a benefit for taking specific actions mm-hmm. or you get a one-time do this, that kind of thing. Yeah, there there's so many ways to score points and it's really overwhelming and it looks really overwhelming because it's such a big, busy board. I like the artwork in this game. It's almost, 
reminds me of Roger of the Ganges where yes. it's so much. It's a little overwhelming. It's very pretty to look at, but there it isn't distinguished enough between some of the stuff. For example, where you're placing the building tiles, there's two sections. There's a lower section and an upper section, and the King's Road kind of splits them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to know all where all those start and end. By looking at it, you'll see, but it's not one of those things that I can just glance at and say, okay, I know this is where these things are. Mm-hmm. It's muted enough where it can be difficult to differentiate all that. And then you're placing out these plaza tiles. So then plazas, side tangent on the plaza game, as soon as you fill an entire plaza with stuff, that plaza will score. So every time, as you fill it with buildings, sometimes you can put a little, like your little player cube on it. And once it gets filled, whoever has player cubes around it can gain a benefit. Sometimes it's points. Sometimes it's windows. Sometimes it's whatever. Resources, yeah. Could be a number of different things. But then once you fill it, you score it. There's two There's two options. Whoever has the most building cost on a building around it is going to get both. The next one get, gets to pick. Well, even placing those out, you're, you don't, uh, where does this one go? Mm-hmm. It's a little overwhelming. Like, work. I, you can put it anywhere, but what's the best place? Uh, depends on what you're doing. Well, and then you can get blue tokens if you position it correctly. Uh-huh. There's a lot of positioning. But if positioning. you're not going for that blue token track, those tokens don't do you any good. Yeah, it's. I got some early on. I think they were red tokens. I got some early on. I was like, okay, cool. I got these red tokens. Now I know I'm going to go up that red token track, the cathedral track, and I can score points that way. Like, once I get a couple things in my pocket, then I was like, all right, I'll use these to score points. I'll focus on that. And that kind of helped guide it. Yes. The cathedral and hunger wall, and then there's a portion of the King's Bridge are little cardboard pieces you put together. Yeah, 3D, 3D cardboard pieces yeah unneeded i'm not really sure why it's in there like i understand why it's it i get why it's in there but it looks cool like it does look cool but at the same time sometimes it's difficult to see exactly what's going on Mm -hmm. there and you have to like i did like playing it without it you have to glue them too Mm -hmm. to keep them together it just not needed which is fine you can throw it away i'm not gonna i mean i'm not gonna throw it away (laughs) i mean you know me i I would i would throw it in the trash yeah, right. Yeah. I'm going to sleep my I'm going to sleeve the tiles. <laughs> There's a ton going on in this game. It's extremely thinky. I've been fortunate enough to be able to get some online plays in, and the more and more I play it, the more I am appreciating the amount of choices in the game. It reminds me a lot of Pulsar because you only get that one action, but if you're clever, you can save up these windows to take a bonus action or you can do this which will allow you to do this and, and really make the most of your turns so you're really trying to optimize each of, each of your limited turns yes hopefully you don't have anyone in your game group that is AP prone because this game Whoa, can no. oh man the analysis paralysis in this game can be brutal because mm-hmm. you might have a plan but you might not be able to do that action because somebody else did it and now it costs you two gold yes and you don't have the money to do that so yeah, you have to be able to adapt and adjust. I really like this game. However, it requires an investment. You have to, if you decide you want to play this game, if you think you're going to like it, you're going to have to invest in one learning the game and then spend some time playing it. I think over time it will be, a, um, you know, it'll get a lot better for you and the, the, you know, the board will make sense to you. It won't be quite so overwhelming, but you got to invest in that. And if you're not willing to invest in it, it's probably it's not a game you're just gonna play once or twice. Like it, there's no point in doing that. 
Yeah, you you need to get multiple plays in. It's going to reward multiple plays. You're, I think you're going to get the most enjoyment out of the game mm-hmm. just playing it and being able to dive into the different things you can do. Yeah, if you don't think you've got anybody in your life that'll play it with you multiple times, then I don't recommend getting it. I'd recommend playing it online. Yeah, hashtag lonely. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a game for everybody. It's a really, really good game, but it's certainly not something everybody will be able to play. What would you rate it? I'd give it a nine. I really liked it. Maybe an eight and a half because it's a, just still a little overwhelming to me. I think Pulsar was a little bit easier for me to wrap my brain around. Yep. You know, this is a, just a little much, but but I still, I just want to keep playing it. I'm giving this game an eight out of 10. I really like it. It has more going on in it than Pulsar with a lot of the moving pieces. I think that's part of the reason why it drops down a little bit. I still think it's great. The more I play it, the more I appreciate it. I would recommend giving this game a try if you like deep, crunchy Euro games with lots of moving pieces, limited amount of turns that you have to just expand out and maximize everything you do. Definitely give this one a try. That is Praga Kaput Regni. So that's going to wrap up the games we've been playing. We are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we are going to talk about how Natasha and I got into board games. Welcome back. I want to talk about how we got into the hobby. Two reasons. One, I love hearing everybody's stories about how they got into the hobby because when I first got into the hobby, I was so excited and overwhelmed by all these games that existed out there. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, how did uh, I cannot believe how, how many games exist. I need to play them all. I love this. I'm so excited about this. And two, I was personally offended that I had no idea that this whole thing existed and I didn't even get to participate in all this time I could have been playing. So I love hearing about everyone's stories. No, about nobody what, told you? They yeah, nobody told me. I'm like, how How have I gone 30 years and not known about this whole world? I've been playing shit games my whole life. <laughs> and like, so oh, offended. Yeah. Well, you didn't get you didn't get invited to the club. No. <laughs> until finally somebody invited me. So I love I love hearing everyone's story, so I thought we would tell ours. Sure. And I wanted to start with childhood. So, Bob, when you were a kid, I know you've referenced playing Monopoly with your family before. Yep. Did you guys play a lot of board games? Not a ton of board games. We So, yes and no. We've played Monopoly. There was a couple other games we played. I remember a game called Tilt where it was this plastic board and you would roll and you'd move this marble around and depending on where it would sit, the board would like teeter-totter. So your if it would tilt one way, this this your marble would roll down these ramps and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We mostly played card games. We played a ton of card games. My parents would play a game called It's Polish Hearts is the what they called it. Mm-hmm. So if you guys don't know, uh, both my parents are actual immigrants from Poland. Mm-hmm. So they called it Polish Hearts where it was hearts but with different sort of edicts every single round. Hmm. So this round, you don't take any hearts. This round, you don't take any twos. This one, you take as many tricks as you can. This one, you don't take any oh. tricks, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you would go through this progression, and then once you got through it, you would add up your score, and whoever had the most points or whatever would win. We would mm-hmm. play games, a game called Blitz, where everyone had their own deck of cards, and you were flipping them and trying to get through your deck as quickly as possible. Uh it was they called it rummy bridge which is kind of rummy and bridge kind of <laughs> together 
which was weird. But so we did a lot of trick taking card games growing up more than anything else, I would say. Mm hmm. I, How about you? I played a ton of games as a kid. I would always try to get my friends to play games with me. Whatever we had, I would play. I, I would even play War. I hated War, but if my friends wanted to play it, I would play it. You know, if, like a lot of the other girls wanted to play dolls and play pretend. I hated playing pretend. Like, I just couldn't do it. I was like, can we play a board game instead? <laughs> <laughs> so you were na- like, you were naturally born into. Yeah. I, I loved it. And, and then Clue, like I loved Clue. Um, I loved Guess Who. Those are two deduction style games. Yep. You know, our church would put on events where everyone would bring all their games and I'd get to play all the cool games I didn't have at home, like Hungry Hungry Hippos. Remember that game? You just yes. like, hit the button a ton of times. Yeah, that's all you were doing. <laughs> yep, yep. And all the, like, Don't Break the Ice and that sticks. Oh, Pick Up Sticks. I loved Pick Up Sticks. We played that a lot. With the little sticks and you'd try to pick it up without making the other sticks move. Oh, yeah, for that, sure. That was fun. I didn't play a lot of games with my parents, but I played a lot with my grandparents. You know, my grandma played checkers with me. My grandpa taught me cribbage, and we really liked playing that together. We did checkers. We did chess, stuff like that. Not big scale or whatever, mm-hmm. but we we played those in the past. Interestingly enough, we didn't play euchre. We didn't. I didn't learn euchre until later on in life. Your parents you know? probably didn't know it, did they? No, because they when they immigrated, they came to New York first. And they were in New York for a while, and then they moved mm-hmm. to Grand Rapids. My parents yep. played a lot of euchre. They'd have their friends over and play. And I remember trying to learn how to play, and I'd always sit with them and watch them play instead of hanging out with all the other kids. Yeah, I remember when my parents would have friends over, and they would play, you know, trick-taking card games or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would always want to play, but, you know, no, it's got to be with four. I'm like, yeah, dang it, I'm gonna, yeah. I'll eventually make my way to that adult table. So what did you play as a teen then? The transition from being, quote unquote, kid to teen was an interesting transition because right before teen, I got into D&D quite a bit. Oh, okay. So my brother and I played at our local shop and we did, you know, we played a little bit there, but then we really started getting into D&D second edition, which we played a ton of. And then I actually got one of my good friends involved in that. So he ended up playing D&D. So I ended up having like a little D&D group through my teen years. Mm. But So you were really cool in high school? Heck yeah, I was the coolest. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, surprisingly enough, I wasn't, I don't, I was not the most popular kid, but I also wasn't the nerd that got teased a lot. I You kept your D&D on the down low? Kind of, but I also, like, I could, I could. BS with anybody about anything because I also like sports. Uh, I, you know, I also uh-huh. like some sports and stuff. So I could, you know, I could fake it with the sports people and be like, yeah, I don't like D&D. I like, you know, football. Yeah. <laughs> but so I ne- I'd never belonged to any sort of group. But my buddy who we played D&D with a ton had the game Dark Tower. Oh. And we played the heck out of that game so much. And that's part of the reason why I'm so excited for this new version, which I got a chance to play. I'm not going to give my opinion on it yet. I got a chance to play it one time. I need a, a few more plays before I give my opinion. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, we play. I played a ton of D&D. That was my thing mm-hmm. that my as soon as kind of getting out of kid into moving into the teens. So this would have been the 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A ton of D&D. Mm-hmm. Second I edition. hearing about D&D when I was a kid. And the negative connotation surrounding yeah. D&D. Yeah. <laughs> like we were in a cult or something. Yeah. Yeah. All I knew was bad. Yeah, you didn't want to be associated with that. So when in order to get people to play, 
you know, like middle school, we played a ton. But you'd have to be real secretive about whether or not people played D&D, uh-huh. you know, that kind of thing, because uh-huh. you didn't want, yeah, you don't want to be out of it. You want the cool kids to know. No, yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> Can't. You get teased. It's Now it's cool, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, when I was a teen, I... <laughs> I had a a boyfriend that uh, we would play cards a lot. He taught me um, taught me canasta. We played that a ton together. His family played a lot of party games. They would have friends over and play party games, and I loved it. And I was like, God, when I grow up, I'm gonna be just like them and I always have friends over playing games all the time. I loved it, and I loved hanging out with him and his mom. We'd all play games together too. We'd play a lot of Pictionary. It was so fun. That's what we mostly did together was play games. Things make so much more sense now all of a sudden, like, especially when you're talking about having people over, because when you invite people over to play games, it's an event. You, yeah. You want everybody over. I do. I like to invite everybody because I want everyone to, to get a chance. I don't want to leave anybody out. So then when I entered, um, you know, I, also in high school, I played a lot of Euchre as well. That's when I learned. I learned how to play Euchre in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a couple of friends that we played Euchre with, all, you know, at school, at lunchtime, you know, I learned hearts and spades. And so yep. at that time, I played a lot of trick-taking games. Yeah. Yeah, a ton. Mm-hmm. I would say so, too. Then when I got into college, I had a good euchre deck that I carried around in my purse. Whenever I'd go to college parties, everyone would be standing around chit-chatting. And I'm like, anybody want to play euchre? Yeah, there was, always that, there was always people down to play euchre. Yeah, I always got a couple. And that's what I did. Everyone would be drinking, and I would play euchre. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the... <laughs> For me, the progression into college, interestingly enough, I almost stopped playing most games. So, you know, starting out D&D 2nd Edition, moved into, or we played before 2nd Edition, but 2nd Edition was the one I did the most of. Then we did 3rd Edition, 3.5, and then got into college. And at that point, for the most part, I just kind of didn't play. Mm -hmm. I hadn't played an RPG almost the entire time in college. Is that because you weren't around your group of friends? Yeah, the people that I played with, we went to separate colleges. Mm-hmm. So it just it just didn't work. And the friends I developed in college didn't necessarily do that. And, you know, you were kind of just figuring yourself out in college. That but was we, before we had the internet, too, to find those friends. I'm sure there was people at your college that would have played with you, but... Who knows it, where they were? You know how old I feel saying we went to college and the well, the internet wasn't really that big of a thing back then. I remember because I we were one of the first campuses that got I mean, Wi Fi internet. Yeah, it we just, got there Wi-Fi, wasn't yeah. like. I mean, if you wanted a, a social group, you went to the bulletin board and grabbed the you did the you piece did. of paper with the phone number on it. Yeah, pretty much. Yep, and then you would call them from your dorm room uh, landline. <laughs> but no, in college we did. I transitioned from. You know, you trick taking games, everything like that, into two things poker uh, and drinking games. Yeah. So we did Beer a. Pong? T- yeah. Well, no, even drinking card drinking games. Okay. Uh, PA. There was a game we played with uh, buddies called Hockey. I learned hockey, which the games of hockey that we played got real intense just because it just, yeah, it was a thing. But I ended up transitioning and playing. Uh, a ton of poker mm-hmm. that was right before the big poker boom if anyone under- knows what i'm talking about mm-hmm. that was back in 2001 where yeah they chris started Mo- filming yeah. it and stuff well chris moneymaker an amateur uh won the world series of poker so there was this explosion so there was just you know there was a ton of people playing poker 
So yeah, I played a lot of poker and I did a lot of a lot of drinking games. Is what I did. Typical college. college experience. Yeah, pretty much. I would say so. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um. So then, after college, for me, I got married and had kids. After my and I didn't play anything. I played a lot of Scrabble with my husband. Actually, we would play. Yeah, that's what we would do. We play Scrabble together. But then, at some point, after my youngest son was born, I realized I didn't have any friends and wanted to, you know, a life outside of my family. Right. Yep. So I um, joined a local um, community in my area, met some friends that way. It wasn't a board gaming group or anything, but I did meet somebody there who was into board games, which I didn't realize it at the time, but he had invited me to his house for a board game night. And I was like, oh, I like board games. I'm thinking we'll probably play like cards is what I was imagining, you know, spades and, and euchre and whatnot. I was like, cool, I'll go. And so I showed up there. And he had Seven Wonders all set up. And I was like, ooh, I'm down to play. And he had to teach it to me. And of course, it was complicated and I didn't get it. But but I liked it. By the end of it, I was like, can we play it again? And we played it again. And it was fun. And then I learned Catan, I think, that same night. And that just totally opened up my eyes. That's That was my like light bulb moment of finding out about board games. And he showed me his collection. And I was like, I need to play all of these. <laughs> <laughs> just all all of them uh-huh. and then he told on me the table. about the we have a local gaming store in our town and he pointed me in that direction and i walked into the store and was like whoa <laughs> blown away by the amount of titles yeah and i saw so i saw Ankh morport the board game and my husband is really into his books um terry pratchett books and loves Ankh morport he told me all about i've never read any of the books but he's told me all of the whole plot line to all of them so i knew right away it was a terry pratchett it was based on the terry pratchett books so i picked up that game for him it was his birthday coming up and that was my first board game i ever well i bought for my husband and we played together and i remember trying to learn the rules it was fairly simple game but one of the mechanics was like um if you have the most control in this area you get something and i was like what does that mean the most control and i had like it, it took me a long time to figure that out i had to that's what i learned about board game geek i got on the forums learned you know ha- kind of had that whole it was like hard to learn a complicated game when you're not familiar with any of the mechanics it is that is an interesting point diving into the hoppy and seeing everything that's available and just wanting to like scoop all of it up. I want it all. Like what games are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not knowing any of the terminology, knowing what things mean, the things that people take for granted. Like everyone knows what area majority means. Yes. If you play games. If you don't, then it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So how, what was your story then? Okay. After college. So uh, after college, I really wasn't playing much or anything. For the most part, it was, again, just kind of getting together with buddies, playing some poker, stuff like that. And then my best friend, we've been best friends since fourth grade, calls me up and says, hey, you want to drive up here? Because he lived like uh, almost a couple hours away, not even, like mm-hmm. an hour and 45 minutes. Hey, do you want to come up here? We're going to be playing a game called Pathfinder, which is an RPG. It's based on D&D 3.5. We're going to be playing it at my buddy's mm-hmm. house. Do you want to come up and do this? And I had nothing going on. I was like, sure. He goes, come up Friday night. We'll make it, we'll roll up your character. And then Saturday we'll play. And you were familiar with D&D, so you were all in. Yeah, I was, yeah, I, I hadn't played in probably four or five years. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm down. I haven't played. I would love to do this. It's my buddy, Matt. We've 
grew up playing. Done. So drive up there. We sit down. I play with the group. It turns from one session into another session into another session. Next thing you know, I have a Pathfinder gaming group, which is awesome because I haven't had a gaming group like that in a while. And then they talk about going to Gen Con. They're like, mm-hmm. hey, we want to go to Gen Con. Are you interested? I'm like, well, what's Gen Con? Mm-hmm. Oh, this gigantic gaming event. Okay, what are we going to do there? Well, Pathfinder started a thing called Pathfinder Society, which gives people an opportunity to do one-shot RPG sittings anywhere in the world. You you bring a character, as long as it fits within the level, you can play. And you, there's pre-generated characters, so there's always an opportunity to sit down and play this game. They're like, hey, you want to go? You should experience it. Do you want to go and play a bunch of Pathfinder? Sure. So we get there. We're playing Pathfinder. And if anyone who's gone to Gen Con has seen the line that forms outside of the vendor hall <laughs> before it opens, you know exactly what I'm talking about because they were like, hey, you guys see this. It's like, okay. So we get up on this top balcony. It's got to it, be a spectacle. It is a sea of people. It is ridiculous. Those doors open and people are just flooding in. I was like, what is that? Well, that's the vendor hall. That's where all the board games and stuff are at. Okay. So we had a break between some of our Pathfinder sessions. So I kind of scooted my way in there and started looking around. And I was like, dang, <laughs> what is all this? So I looked at a bunch of games. I think uh, my buddy and I played King of Tokyo that year. Mm-hmm. I can dem- see that would be a great intro from, yeah. Yeah, just demoing it at in the convention hall, looking around, and I got home and I kept thinking about all of these, you know, board games and stuff. So I started kind of doing some more research, and then next thing you know, I bought Ticket to Ride. Did you? I at did. At Gen Con? Not at Gen Con, no. I, I was already home, and I was- okay. I heard so many good things and I started watching Dice Tower Top 10s. These are the top 10, you know, gateway games you should do. And I was like, I'm going to pick up Ticket to Ride. Uh-huh. Remember sitting down. Good choice. I sit, sitting down playing it. I was like, wow, okay. Well, what's next? And I just kept looking at games and kept, you know, trying different games out. And next thing you know, I find out that we, there we have a local game store. Mm-hmm. So... I, I go there one day and they're like, yeah, you know, we have an open game night on Wednesdays. I was like, all right, cool. So then I show up one Wednesday and my introverted self just doesn't sit down with anybody. It's so awkward. The, I remember the first time I showed up to game night too. I was like kind of standing around feeling awkward. I didn't know anybody. Deer in the headlights. I really wanted to play because I played with my friend, but he would only host like once twice a month every other sunday yeah and i'm like i need other people to play with i and i found them on meetup is how i found that group oh sure at the one in my town and um but god it was so scary to go yeah you're just you're just watching all these people play and people were nice they were like hey you know how's it going blah 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 telling me about the games but no one actually invited me to sit down mm-hmm. and it's it's a hard task to walk in and say hey can i sit down Especially for me as somebody that struggles with anxiety, to just sit down with somebody is tough. Because you kind of got to sit there and wait for them to decide what to play. And then, you know, that's awkward because you don't know anybody. So you're not making... Now we just sit in small talk until we're all ready to play. But at that point... It was almost clicky, but not really. Mm -hmm. 
there was definitely groups that were playing games together. Mm-hmm. So I left. And honestly, I came back a couple times before I actually sat down and played a game. And the there was an employee that worked there that mm-hmm. had saw me come in a couple times. And he goes, hey, we're going to play a game. Do you want to play? Yeah. And I was like, yes, I do. Okay, have you played this game before? No. Okay, we'll teach it. Teach you how to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was it, right? That it, yeah. once you're invited to a table, then well, you feel it, comfortable. Yeah, and then next thing you know, you sit down with uh, a couple of the other people, a couple of the other, and this was up front by the counter. And so you sit down with a couple of those people. They end up doing more games in back, and then all of a sudden you walk in back, and it's a somebody you've already played with. Hey, do you want to sit down and play? Mm-hmm. Marty did that. Marty was like, "Hey, you want to play this game? Yes. All right, come on." And one thing led mm-hmm. to another, and here we are. So started playing games. That's you know that's where you and I met was Wednesday nights, and mm-hmm. yeah, here we are <laughs> playing a bunch of games. Fast forward, what was that? Five years ago or so? Uh, I think it's more than that because it's I think because I have that board game stats app, and that was in 2017 is when I started that. Wow. So it was before that. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while. It's been a mm-hmm. long time. So yeah, I played in my hometown for quite a few years before I made it to Grand Rapids. Yeah. And played with them, and and I had a, a a smaller group that we played together. Um, then the evening, the night of the week, we played on Thursday. So I then I switched to Wednesday nights when I was working in Grand Rapids, and we had a larger, robust group then there, and that's where I really made a lot of friends as well. But at that point, I had more was more comfortable. Like I had played with other people before, you know, played with strangers, felt comfortable, kind of know how the night was gonna flow with like getting there standing awkwardly not knowing anybody felt comfortable doing that when i had moved to um those gaming nights in grand rapids yeah it definitely once you kind of got in you were in Mm -hmm. but it didn't feel like it was a struggle to get in Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah like i feel like if i was traveling to another city and heard about a game night in another city and didn't know anybody i would feel comfortable at this point in my life going in not knowing anybody and, you know, kind of hanging out until I get invited to a game. You know what I mean? Where yep. early on in my gaming career or early on in my gaming. You can say career. Career. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, I would have been really uncomfortable in that situation. Yes. Well, it's uh, a lot like playing board games at a convention. Mm-hmm. Having playing with a variety of people. Yeah. It's at this point now, I'd be fine going up to a table and playing games with strangers. Yeah. I've done it. We there's a convention uh, locally. It had co- with COVID. It hasn't been the last few years, but mm-hmm. we have a convention in our hometown. And even going there, sitting down, just playing with mm-hmm. random people. And what's nice usually in conventions too is they'll have some sort of table prop that you can put down that says, "Hey, we want players," mm-hmm. or "Hey, you know, we want somebody to help teach us this game. We really want to play it, but you know, we don't know the rules." That kind of thing, which helps out quite a bit Mm -hmm. yeah it's really nice to be invited to a table too if you walk in and somebody sees you kind of stand there by yourself looking around and when they invite you it just makes you feel more comfortable but i think that's one of those things that as gamers it's hard to do that it's not poor intentioned where we're not trying to invite somebody but we're there, we're with some people, we get a game set up and we're setting it up and somebody's like, hey, can I join you? Well, this plays four and we have four. Mm-hmm. That that happened recently. We had uh, somebody come into our 
our game night and it, he was a newer player mm-hmm. and he's like hey what game are you playing we're like this he's like you know can we play and i'm like man it's only plays four and we have four mm-hmm. and i felt bad he ended up getting on a table with some some other people in the group which was good mm-hmm. but- we did make it really clear like we would love to play with you can we play next the next game together yeah you yeah. know so that he felt like he was welcome we weren't trying to exclude him for sure mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so if you are trying to get into a game group and you go for the first time yes it's totally awkward there's no way around that it will get easier with time keep at it it's worth it it is worth it it sucks to go there and not be included and i don't think it's i don't think it's something that you need to take personal it's not people are trying to exclude you from mm-hmm. it it's just the nature of the way things are going. So games are naturally four players. If you have four players, it's hard to include a fifth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have five-player games and you can, but sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And some people have a are going into game night knowing that they're going to play this specific game, so they're not going to change the game for a fifth player. You know, and that happens, and it's it's not because they don't want to play with you. It's just the, what they had planned on doing for that night. I think it's helpful when if you can get there a little early. And yes, it's really awkward to to get there early and not have anything to do. You kind of wander around. But if you can get there early, then you're more likely to get included in something. Well, if you get there early, you can look at their game selection. That's what I do. Yeah, it's harder for us too because now that we have the show, we tend to decide what we're going to play on game nights before we get there. Before mm-hmm. it was just everyone would just bring games. Mm-hmm. And now we kind of show up, well, we kind of want to get this game played because it's a game we want to talk about you know, yeah. talk about, and we want to get another play in. To Which make sure. I like having a little bit of um, structure to our game nights because otherwise you spend 20 minutes, oh, I don't care what we play. I don't care what we play. It's, it's definitely more streamlined now because that 100% I agree with that because – well, what do you want to play? I don't know. What do you want to play? I don't. I don't know. What do you bring? People are so oh. open to playing anything well, that nobody care. can make a decision. Yeah, I don't care. Whatever. And but also, our friends are always willing to play whatever. So coming with like we're playing this tonight, they're like, oh, okay, cool. It seems to go over well. In some ways, it's nice because they don't even have to bring games. This last uh, time we went out there, I we got there, and I just started setting up a game because you and I had planned on playing it. Mm-hmm. We'll see who shows. We will see who wants to play join in with us. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, we had room for two more people, and yeah. How many times do you go to game night with a big old bag of games and you never play your games? Oh, I hate that. Like you lug it out of your house into the car, lug it out of the car into the game store. I love my. I have two. I have two board game table bags, mm-hmm. and I love them. They're, I they're hate made, bringing them. <laughs> they're, they're made by boardgametables.com. Yes, they're they're bags meant for your board games. They're just made by boardgametables.com, which is really odd. But yes, yeah, they they're make, good games. Well, they they're make games bags. too. Yeah, they make, make games and bags yeah. and tables. Yeah, they do it all. Which is funny. Yeah, so that's our story of how we got into board games. It, it kind of evolved from there. and Now we have a podcast about board games. Yeah. It feels weird, but yeah, I don't know. It's It's one of those things that I just, I love it. I want to... I love the friends I've made through my board gaming hobby yeah. as well. It's nice to have friends, you know. It's just fun to share the excitement with board games in something like this. Mm-hmm. To put on a show, tell people what you think. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. I'm curious what your story is. I love to hear people's story. If you want to share that with me, I would love to hear it. I want to know what game got you into the hobby. Mm-hmm. That's always interests me. What game really did it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so that's it for our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk about losing. 
whether it's intentional or how you feel going into a game knowing you're gonna lose and does it affect your desire to play a game, please do us a favor and leave us a review on your podcast app. And check us out on Instagram or Facebook and send us any questions, comments. If you listen to the show, let us know to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Yeah, if there's any sort of topics that you want Natasha and I to disagree on, we would love to hear it. (laughs) All right, that's it for this week. Have a great week. See you next week.